0: reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. The Golden Edge Podcast is sponsored by STN Sports from Station Casinos. STN Sports is the only sports betting app you need this season. Sign up today and get a new sign-up bonus of up to $50. $50. <laughs> What is up, Hockey fans? This is the
2: Golden Edge podcast from the Review Journal. I am Ben Goats, one of your two Golden Knights beat reporters. I am live in Nashville, where the Golden Knights are about to play the Nashville Predators the day before Thanksgiving. We have so much to get into today. I want to remind you that the Golden Edge podcast is presented by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos. But I also want to welcome in my partner in crime, my buddy on the beat. Dave Shane, who is back in Las Vegas. Dave, how's it
0: going? Awesome. I'm in my PJs like I promised I would be. We are bright and early on a Tuesday. I'm wearing my uh, Wisconsin hat just to uh, rub it in a little bit. So, all set. All set.
2: Well, there you go. I want to be more mad at Dave about that Wisconsin thing because I, of course, went to Minnesota and we have a big rivalry game this week for the Big Ten West title but he is in his pajamas because I made him get up early to do this podcast because I am on Central Time right now, as are the Golden Knights, and we have so much to get into with what's going on with the team right now. Uh, just a reminder to follow all our coverage at reviewjournal.com and check out this podcast uh, every Wednesday. We try to give it to you. The uh, Dave I watched this Golden Knights team in Dallas last night, they lost four to two. We're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, the Knights do not appear to be good. At the hockey right now, despite uh, it being their charge to do so, and despite there being expectations that they would be good at it, it just seems like this team is still in a funk.
0: Absolutely. Three in a row that they've lost uh, with that game last night, since since basically we last talked, right? I mean, it, last week we were like, well, maybe it's turning the corner. And then all of a sudden, which is the way that this season seems to have gone, it's like one step forward, two steps back. I, I don't know. I'm kind of curious what you thought about last night. I, I had some, some, maybe not some usual takeaways, I guess, from it. Um, but what, maybe just what, what were your thoughts off the off the bat?
2: Yeah. So the Knights lost their uh, third straight last night. They're o two and one in their last three, and o two and one since we last talked. Uh, lost for four. 2-1 to the Sharks in overtime, then 4-2 to the Edmonton Oilers, and 4-2 to the Dallas Stars last night, which was really a weird game against the Stars. You knew it would be tough for the Golden Knights. The Shark, or the Stars excuse me, were coming in just red hot. They were 13-1-1 in their last 15 uh, or an 11-game point streak. And it was a weird game where the Knights didn't come out well in the first period. I thought then they really, I thought, came out well in the second period, got a bunch of power plays didn't do anything with them, and of course, didn't really cut into their lead. Um, the main takeaways I had is, one, the Stars had a third goal in the second period that just seemed to be a backbreaker for the Knights. Uh, the Knights were down 2 nothing. They fought back to get it to 2-1 despite being really bad on the power play. Then all of a sudden, despite the fact the Knights dominated the second period, the Stars got a late goal to you know keep the margin at 2 heading into the third. And then that last penalty kill really seemed to just deflate the Knights. The Sharks got a late power play in the third period. They scored to go up 4-2. And so the Knights went from kind of being in the game, it seemed, for most third period, because Paul Stastny scored early to get it to 3-2, to just out. They were just done. And then Nate Schmidt, I thought, was really interesting. Is he said, if we get that penalty kill, I think we would end up winning the game. So it was, I was surprised to hear the Knights despite kind of being on the road against a really good team, had still a ton of confidence on their bench, but just that penalty kill just sucked out of all the air out of the balloon.
0: So those, those are all points. And, and, and I think it's, it's easy to look at the power play and yeah, like th- that for me played a huge role in that, in that game and, and the penalty kill and the special team, just, just kind of everything. This was, this was my issue with that game. The second goal. So the second goal was Lindell basically walking right down the slot. But if you back up and just look at the whole thing, like Reeves crashes into somebody at the blue line and Dallas goes the other way, but it's a two on three. Like they're back and Carrier is the forward and he's back. Like he's there, he's back. It's not like they, had, they gave up an odd man rush or anything. Carrier is kind of going through the neutral zone and he looks over his right shoulder basically to assess, is there anybody that I need to pick up? Is there somebody on the back check that I need to get? And he saw that there was nobody there. So he goes into the play. And from there, what what I have an issue with is one, how does that pass get off, get through? You've got a two on three, you outnumber them. And then secondly, is the breakdown with Lindell. And I'm not sure where, I guess if you want to say the blame goes, but if you watch Tomas Nosek on that back check, at no point does he put his head down and just skate, go, bust your butt to get back. He never does it. He's just always kind of coasting and he never really gets there. And then Nate Schmidt kind of comes over late. It, when Jar talks about effort and these guys and they all talk about effort and that's what you can control, that goal to me is just a major, major, major red flag.
2: Yeah, it certainly wasn't a good look for the Knights after, one, they got called out for their effort uh, after the loss to the Oilers uh, back at home, and we can get more into that a little bit later. And two, I mean, Jar Gallant kind of spoke glowingly about the effort that he was seeing from the stars Before the game, I mean, he got asked, you know, do you need to see your team play with a little bit more fire against the stars? And he called the stars the most competitive team he's seen this season, kind of implying like, hey, they don't have a ton of star and talent. And certainly even some of the talent they do have hasn't necessarily played up to it this season. He's like, they work hard. They make the sacrifices you need to do to win. They're really solid defensively. And that's why they're a good hockey team. And we need to come out with that same level of intensity or else we're going to get embarrassed. And for the most part in the first period, it didn't seem like the Knights came out with the right level of intensity. I mean, John Merrill took a penalty 25 seconds into the game. Uh, I mean, Mark Stone, like, phrased it bluntly. I was like, we just didn't start the game on time. We didn't start the game when it was supposed to start. And that's been an issue for the Knights all season. It seems like um, there's just all these little things that get away from them, whether it be slow start, not picking up guys on the check, as you mentioned, and you just can't do that against other talented teams, which the stars certainly are the Oilers who are leading the Pacific division certainly are and Uh, Also this week, the Sharks probably are because the Sharks have now moved ahead of the Golden Knights in the standings uh, as of this recording because the Sharks won in overtime last night to overtake the Golden Knights. Uh, Well, we talk about all these things, David, and we're now almost a third of the way through the season for the Knights. So are we reaching a point where it's kind of no longer small sample size and this team just might not end up being what kind of people thought it would be preseason. And I shouldn't just say people. I mean, certainly us. I mean, I think we both had high expectations for this team, but they just do not look like that group right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's still a tad early and it's going to be so cliche. We're going to hear this forever that the St. Louis blues were in last place in January and then went on to win the Stanley cup, but it's true. So, in terms of the panic, it's it's not even. I haven't even eaten my turkey yet for Thanksgiving, so you know I don't know that we can completely just say you know throw your hands up and all oh, season's done. Let's start scouting the draft and maybe they'll get it. You know Alexis Lafreniere or something. I I don't I don't think we go that direction. But you know what? So right now they're eleven eleven and four, ninth place in, mm-hmm. in the Western Conference. One one point out of that playoff berth. Like you said, the the Sharks just just leapfrog them. Uh, you know, I think one of my things as I as I watch this kind of continue on and and we hear kind of the same things and and yet nobody's able to solve it. One one of my things with this is this feels like a time when the 23 captains sort of backfires on them. It feels like they need somebody to step up and be and be the voice right now on this team. And I don't I don't know where that's going to come from, I don't know. You know, somebody like Derek England seemed to be the you know kind of a locker room voice probably in the last couple of years. You know, right now he's in a rotation with John Merrill and Nick Holden on the third pairing. It, I, I don't, you know, I don't know that he can really call somebody out for for not playing well, hold somebody accountable when when he's not necessarily playing his best hockey. It's it's a hard situation. I think they they find themselves in, in terms of that leadership, in terms of somebody kind of, you know, grabbing hold of the rudder and and steering the ship, so to speak.
2: No, I definitely agree with that. And certainly uh, to your blues point, I mean, nothing can be necessarily ruled out at this point in the season. And certainly the playoffs are uh, still very much a possibility for these Knights. and almost, you know, if you look at some of the probably advanced metrics a probability for the Knights, just more of, can this team as constructed, do that much while they're there at this point. And I guess we'll see. But I mean, with the 23 captains thing that you're mentioning, the game that would very much concern me to that end is just the Oilers game, where you have, you know, the leaders of your division come into your building coming off a really bad loss. Uh, they got punked by the Los Angeles Kings, the Oilers did before coming to T Mobile Arena. And it just looked like the Knights did not get up for that game. I mean, the Oilers were first on every loose puck. They turned every 50, 50 battle into a 80, 20 battle their way. It felt like, I mean, they held the Knights in their defensive zone for just minutes and minutes at the time. They were literally skating circles around the Knights. And you could tell just how frustrated Glant was after that game that his team didn't show up. And so, yeah, that's definitely an instance where someone either the second or first or second intermission needs to stand up in that locker room and just say, like, "Hey, we can't do this if we want to, you know, carry ourselves with any pride as a team. Like, we can't have another team come into our building and make us look like this." And so that's, I think, to your point, exactly where that kind of stuff comes into play.
0: Yeah, and and what's what was clear from the Oilers game to me especially is just every time they have, I guess, kind of one of those. Let's see how good we are. Let's let's see where we stack up. A measuring stick game. They've fallen woefully short. I mean, it's like one seven and two. I don't know the exact playoff um, order and and things right now in the uh, in the East, but I think they're one seven and two after the Dallas loss against teams that currently hold playoff spots. Like they just haven't been good enough against the good teams. It, there's like this soccer saying like in England it's a flat track bully it just seems like that's what they've been they they beat up on you know kind of the little guys and they've racked up points and then then they have a game like Detroit where where that's like sitting on the table for them and they give the two points away i i mean you know it, it's kind of I, we'll t- we'll talk about a little bit of with Malcolm Subban but you know you look at a couple areas for me it's they haven't got a win from their backup goaltender yet either of them cuz Dansk has played and then it's the overtime too and i know there's a little crossover there where you know the backup goaltender has played you know in some of those overtime games Winnipeg and Toronto come to mind with Subban but they've just they've dropped points they've dropped points there it, even if you win two of those games if you get let's say one win from your backup if two of those four games in overtime that you've lost Turn into wins. I mean, the record doesn't look as bad. You're you're not as as panicked. It, it, it's kind of weird how it works that way. There's, it's you know, one of the things I asked Ryan Reason. This is back a little bit now, but you know, after the Washington game, I kind of was asking about, you know, it feels it felt like they were right there. They they were they were right on the edge, and then they just couldn't kind of get over the hump like that Washington game. It was three two going into the third period, and then it was you know okay, we got to Take it from a good team, and they couldn't do it. They, they got overwhelmed in that third period, and it had happened before, and it just it feels like it keeps happening. So you start to question, I guess, yeah, are they good enough? I, I don't know because every time they've played a playoff team, they haven't they haven't been they haven't been there. I mean I, San Jose I guess now is you know I guess quote unquote a playoff team. Uh, I thought that was a good game for them for the most part. I'm not going to, you know, trash him for that one. But the results are the results. And when they've needed to get points against good teams at home, defend home ice, they haven't been able to do it.
2: Yeah. And to your point, I mean, the Dallas game is basically an exact copy of that Washington game, too. The Knights with the Paul Stasny goal cut it to 3 2 early in the third period. They have a chance to score another goal, take over that game, and they can't do it. Cody Glass is taking. A penalty With about eight minutes left, and the Stars score 10 seconds later on the power play, and then the Knights kind of just go away. Story of the season so far. Uh, We will talk about potential improvements the Knights could make, potential adjustments, how they might try to get out of this most recent losing skid after uh, some brief messages.
1: Hey, everyone. The holidays are almost here, and you know what that means? Yes. What better gift to give the guy in your life than a stylish shirt that fits just right? Unlike most brands, untucked shirts are actually designed to be worn untucked. Untucked shirts always fall at that just right length, no matter his size. So you can look casual and sharp. So I'm 6'5, so it's really hard for people to buy good gifts that are also going to fit me. Now with Untuck It, you can find really stylish shirts that are gonna fit just right, no matter the guy in your life. And at least according to my girlfriend, Uh, They look pretty good. So whether you're shopping for the perfect holiday gift or are just trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuckit is the way to go. Visit Untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off.
2: Well, we'll try to spin forward a bit and just look at what the Knights can maybe do uh to alter this latest skid they have been tinkering with their forward lines quite a bit in recent games we saw their original top six come back together against the stars and then we had tuck eakin glass get reunited on the third line i don't think it went well overall but dave do you think that's what they're going to try to stick with moving forward or are we going to see just more and more shakeups until they finally find something that Starts producing wins.
0: I mean, it feels like Jar Gallant is more willing to shake things up this year than than maybe he's been in the past. I know last year I remember kind of after that first long eastern road trip at the end of Boston, he actually broke up the first line and was kind of, oh my gosh, he broke up the first line. You know, so he it's not like he's never tinkered, but it feels like this year he's he's been more, I guess, apt or willing or trying to find something. I guess maybe this is, the one, this is the one move, and I'm not sure how it can happen because I think it would, it would require putting everything into the, into the juicer and, and seeing what comes out. But I think I wonder if Alex Tuck back in the top six isn't, isn't something that you can try. Just based on last year, I keep going back to the fact that last year when he was getting consistent ice time in the top six, he was their leading scorer at the trade deadline when they made the trade for Mark Stone. And Mark Stone got here, and Alex Tuck went down to the third line, and he wasn't productive at all for the last 20 games, and really in the playoffs, if I recall. And then this year so far, even though, yeah, he was hurt at the start, and I think he's got two points in eight games so far this year. So it's not like his production necessarily warrants it, but I feel like maybe that's a move that you can do. And then the other thing is maybe if there's guys in the top six that Jar Glant feels like he needs to hold accountable, that, Hey, you're just not playing well. And you need to see that or hear that, or, you know, feel the repercussions from that. Maybe that's a way to do it too. And, and again, I'm not saying necessarily that Alex Tuck is, is, you know, played so well down there that you have to reward him. But I just feel like, Hey, if that's, if that's something that you're looking, if if you're trying to find goals, Last night, I think, was, if I looked this up correctly, it was seven times in the last 11 games that they've scored two goals or fewer. That's just not going to get it done. I don't care if Marc-Andre Fleury's in the net or anybody else. If that's what they're going to score, if that's the way that they're going to you know, kind of be and forge an identity, then they need to play like Dallas. They need to take something from that game and learn and, and basically say, look, that's a good team with some skill over there, that's playing, you know, not a high-flying, wide-open game. Not, they're not worried about speed and, and all that sort of stuff. They are tight defensively. They get good goaltending, and they win a lot of close games. It feels like that's the formula for the Knights, and they just have to get to it.
2: Yeah, and we've talked about that before, but of course then you see stuff like that breakdown on the star second goal, and you go, well, okay, they can't play that way because they're too leaky defensively, they just have too many breakdowns defensively, which is, I mean, I'm sure this debate is happening with the coaching staff too, of how do we forge an identity for this team? How do we get it back on track? And the tuck point's interesting too, because even though, you know, the production isn't necessarily there, I mean, you just watch the guy play and you say it is just because his speed creates so many problems for other teams. He's drawing a lot of penalties. He's working hard along the walls. And so that could at least give you somewhat of a different look. The question as to who he replaces in the top six is kind of interesting because is uh, of course a right wing and I don't think demoting Riley Smith or Mark Stone really sends a message. I mean, I think both those guys have been playing well recently stone. Certainly I thought had a really good game against the stars. Maybe you're willing to try tuck on his off wing and, replacement of Jonathan Martius, but I'm not sure putting Martius, who is not having a great year down on the third line is the solution to all your problems either.
0: Yeah, and and I guess I would counter that a little bit and, and say that Tuck is, I guess, technically right now playing on the left on that Eakin Glass, you know, Tuck yeah. line. So clearly they've done that. Clearly that's something that they can, you know, look at and 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 say look if we're going to shake this up this could go either way it's not like they're locked in on one side with him so you know again i i don't know that that's where that's where i feel like there's a line for me that i don't want to necessarily cross in in terms of of saying hey this is who i think should be you know demoted or or i don't think you know this guy or or whatever is playing well per se i think that's the coach's job but i like i said i just think I think if you're looking for a shakeup and, and you've done everything with your top six, you've moved these guys around you've put Eakin up there and you've bounced Stasny down and you've twisted and turned with, you know, the left wings and, and all this sort of stuff. The one thing that you haven't really done is put Tuck up there, you know, and maybe it makes, maybe it takes reuniting like the all American line with Stasny and Pacioretty. I don't know, you know, and then maybe you put March so with, you know, with, with stone, because they seem to have chemistry. I don't know. It, it, maybe that squeezes out Riley Smith. And, and like you said, I don't think he necessarily deserves that, but you got to try something, right? Cause the way that they're going offensively, it's just not going to get it done, especially in this day and age, you know, offense around the league is up. Two goals a game is just not going to do it.
2: No, you are definitely right. I think one thing we can both agree is probably off the table is the, uh... I don't. Valentin Zekov to the rescue. Zikov is of course eligible to come back Friday against Arizona, and we will see how that situation plays out. But I don't think either of us are expecting much from him. Uh, the other move that they could look at, though, or at least I'm sure they're going to talk about, is backup goaltender Malcolm Subban got the start against the Stars, and I think it was a typical Malcolm Subban performance. He was fine, not really. Noticeable in a good way, not super noticeable in a bad way. Just didn't make a lot of plays that really had you, you know, feeling good about what he's bringing to the Knights right now. Uh, On the season, he has a 3.55 goals against average and a 8.83 save percentage. Both numbers, of course, are not good. And he also has a minus 4.18 goal saved above average. Uh, The Knights are also 0-4-2 in his starts all these numbers are just not good, Dave. And so are we getting to the point where they need to have a serious conversation about Malcolm Subban and his future with this team?
0: I mean, I think we're getting close, right? I mean, at some point the stats are the stats and the numbers are the numbers. And and, and if we're going to argue all these other things for, for offensive guys with expected goals and this and that, and we're going to rely on the numbers, then we need to rely on the numbers with Malcolm Subban. And, And right now they're just, they're not getting it done. Uh so 05 and 2 from their backup goaltenders, and, and again, that includes Dansk. I, I I don't see how if you're gonna spell Marc-Andre Fleury and and try to get him down to say 50-55 starts and things like that. I don't see how you if you can't rely on a backup goaltender to get anything done for you, how are you gonna make the playoffs? Like uh, Fleury's gotta win 40 games or or something out of those 50. Just to get you there, I—that's I, I, a bit of an exaggeration, but you know, it, it, to me, this—this this was the obvious thing last night. It's not that it's Malcolm Subban's fault. It's not that you know he's giving up, you know, terrible goals or, or or anything like that. But he didn't make a save like Bishop made on Cody Glass on the power play when that puck bounced off the wall. And glass was at the side of the net, and you basically all you had to do was lift it. And Bishop somehow got a pad over there, made a save. It, I mean, is it luck? Is it skill? I, you know, I don't know. I'm not a goalie, but there's something to Ben Bishop being able to get something there and and make that save. You know, it's not Subban's fault on the third goal, and and we talked about this earlier, and and how much of kind of a backbreaker that was, but you know. You kind of make a save. You got to bail your team out once in a while, and he hasn't been able to do it. And then the fourth goal—I mean, he gave up a rebound, and Radulov puts it in. And you could see right away Subban just drop his head, kind of slump his shoulders because he knew, you know, he needed to control that rebound better. So, I mean, yeah, it's nitpicking and, and things like that, but they need—they need somebody other than Marc-Andre Fleury to come in and and win a game, steal a game, bail him out, you know, make a timely save. And to me, that's the biggest thing that's holding Malcolm Subban back right now is, you know, making that save that he maybe necessarily shouldn't. It's, you know, I mean, obviously Marc-Andre Fleury's is a Hall of Famer and, and whatever, it's hard to compare, you know, the two of them when they're on the same team because I don't know that it's necessarily a fair comparison, for Malcolm Subban, but you see Mark Andre Fleury, just how many saves he makes that you know you probably shouldn't make or or you couldn't make. It just turns out to be so timely for his team, and you see guys around the league. That's what separates the starters and, and the really good guys from you know maybe guys who are backups or guys who are you know in the AHL trying to trying to get in, trying to you know break through. Right now, that seems to be the biggest thing that's holding Malcolm Subban back is just making that huge save, making that timely save to kind of help his team.
2: No, I definitely agree. They didn't play Subban at all on their recent four-game homestand, which I think speaks to, one, a lack of confidence in him, and two, just their place in the standings right now. We heard Coach Jargon talk a lot last year that the Knights fell behind in the standings early, and so that played a role in the fact that they played Mark andre Fleury so much last year. They felt they needed to play catch-up to get back in the standing. So I can only imagine what that might mean for Marc-Andre Fleury's workload going forward. Uh, we'll have more time to I'm sure get into all of that, but because we've been dunking on the nights a little bit, this podcast, I did want to get some lighter topics into uh, Dave. You had what I thought was a phenomenal story in uh, this week's paper about jerseys. You talked to, Players in the Golden Knights locker room. You talked to Coach Jar about jersey colors. You know the home whites versus the road whites, and historically the differences there. Uh, what did players have to say on it, and uh, what uh, got you so excited to do the story?
0: Yeah. Well, first off, thank you for the compliment. Hope the readers enjoyed it also. Uh, yeah. So what started it for me is when Chicago came in, and then obviously, kind of on that whole sort of homestand, I guess. It was like five out of six or whatever it was. We also saw Toronto. And so I'm a little older and had a birthday recently and and all that. And I remember growing up watching the NHL and it was you always wore the home whites. That was just how it was. And 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 so seeing Toronto come in with the white jerseys on the road and the blackhawks, not seeing the Blackhawks red, you know, not seeing that Maple Leafs blue. I don't know. It just kind of got me thinking and I asked a few of the players about it. And obviously there's a little bit of an, an age difference, you know, with, with them and with me. It was kind of fun to talk to like Ryan Reeves, you know, who's 32 and get his opinion on it. Because he clearly remembers, you know, when it was done with the home whites and, and all that sort of stuff. Alex Tuck had, you know, a little bit of recollection and, and things like that of it. But what was interesting to me is everybody seems to be pretty unanimous in that they like the dark jerseys at home. They feel like, you know, as players, Mark Stone kind of said this, that the dark jerseys are the ones that are your primary colors and that your home fans deserve to kind of see that, which I thought was interesting because my side of it is is kind of the counter-argument to, as a fan in the arena, I'd like to see all the different colors come through. I'd like to be able to see Toronto's blue, Detroit's red, Chicago's red. Um, San Jose's is teal. <laughs> um, you know, rather than you just always see kind of the nights and dark and the home or, or excuse me, the visiting team in white. I, you know, it's just kind of a personal preference thing, I think. But you know, like you said, it was even funny to to hear Gerard Gallant say that that he prefers the dark jerseys. That actually kind of surprised me a little bit.
2: Yeah, it was definitely interesting to hear him say that because, of course, he is from an original uh, six franchise too. He played for the Detroit Red Wings, who have the red jerseys so I mean, it was cool to hear him talk about you know how much he liked those jerseys too and i think like you raised a really good point i mean obviously you and stone kind of had a good back sport there where you know i was going through just to prep for this podcast my favorite jerseys and it's basically every original six teams color jerseys except for the boston bruins because i don't like those colors they're kind of ugly uh but other than that like I could totally understand any fan that would say, like, yeah, I want the Maple Leafs blue, the Red Wings red, the Blackhawks red, the Rangers blue, then the Montreals, like they're set up with the, you know, blue helmet and pants, and then the red jersey is like I could totally understand kind of wanting that, you know, rainbow assortment of colors just to come through the arena. But I also understand where I think, you know, the night nice dark jerseys are better. I'm just a person who likes dark jerseys in general much better than whites. I kind of think whites are, for the most part, relatively boring. And so I get also, you know, trying to put on your... Best colors for your
0: home family. Yeah, you and Jar Glant can go hang out in the uh, merchandise store and look at the white jerseys, or uh, the dark jerseys. I'll, I'll go, I like the whites. And uh, the, the one thing, too, <laughs> the white gloves that the Knights wear, and the, all the players said this, too, like they all love the white gloves. And I it, it was funny because I remember when they were first unveiled and they had the white gloves, and it looked like they were, they were going to wear the white gloves with the dark jerseys. They're going to wear the white gloves all the time. And I didn't like that contrast, but you put that white on white, it looks so smooth. I love it. I mean, I'm not a big Jersey guy and, and, and all that. I know there's like some really cool websites and, and Twitter accounts for, you know, uniform watch and, and, and things like that. Uh, but the white look with the Knights, yeah, I think it would look good at home when they when they have those like Nevada Day games and every once in a while when they when they wear those whites at home. I don't know. Just something about it. Something nostalgic for me that, you know, I mean, baseball has the home whites, you know. I guess the NFL and a lot of other teams kind of mix and match, you know, NBA does a little bit of, of home kind of choosing and things like that. But for me, yeah, it's just something, I don't know. I don't know. I go back to that Montreal. Like It really started for me actually with the Montreal game. I mentioned the the Blackhawks in Toronto, but really was when Montreal and not seeing that red sweater be able to come through here, I was kind of like, ah, I just, everybody, it just feels like everybody missed out on it, but I don't know. That's just me.
2: No, I, I, like I said, I totally see to your point. And I do like, I mean, the white gloves I think are pretty sick and I do wish the NHL at least built in like the exception, like the NBA does where in the NBA, you can choose your uniform. I get, you know, in the NHL, maybe you want to be a little bit more rigid, fine, but yeah, I wish you could build in like special days where yeah, maybe for Nevada day, the golden Knights are granted an exception to do home whites. And then the other team, wear colors, just something where you can mix it up a little bit I think would be preferable, but no, I think it's fun uh, well, good jersey talk Dave, don't often go down that street, but I'm glad we did uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast just a reminder that we are of course brought to you by SDN Sports Mobile from Station Casinos, uh, you can check out all of Dave's and I stuff at reviewjournal.com Make sure to check out this podcast, rate and subscribe, all that fun stuff on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. And we will talk to you again real soon.
0: Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns.